All right, the talk today is going to be on the coming one. Now, if you don't know who the coming one is, hopefully by the end of the talk you'll know about it. It's subtitled, Jesus, John the Baptist, and Faith. And so that's a little mini outline of what we're going to be talking about. So Ben asked me to give a talk. When he asked me to give the talk, I knew at the beginning of the talk I'd have to give you some good news, but then I'd have to give you some bad news as well. The good news is is that I have given talks before. At least in theory, I know how to do the historical context between what we study. I can do exegesis where you take out of the scripture what it's intended to be there without putting stuff into it. And I can do the relevant cultural experience, not only of the time, but relate it to today. But with the good news, there's always bad news. And the bad news is, along with Rick Schnabel, I teach junior high. And because of that, the talk will be at about a 10-year-old level. (laughs) So if you're expecting something very serious and deep, you just might want to head for the exit right now. So go ahead and turn in your book to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to do just two verses, verse 2 and 3. Now Ben, he's already in Matthew. He's in chapter 5, which means we'll get here about two years from now. So by then you'll have forgotten everything I said and it'll all sound fresh when, when you hear it. Now, Matthew chapter 11 is about John the Baptist. And we remember John the Baptist who made way the path of Jesus, who called us to repentance ahead of Jesus. And we're just going to have two verses. So if someone thinks I'm taking the two verses I'm going to talk about out of context... I want to review what we know about John the Baptist. Boy, this thing's sensitive. So to borrow from Clint Eastwood, we're going to do the good, the bad, and the ugly here. First, the good. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. And it said when John the Baptist was still in his mother's womb and Elizabeth came close to Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, that John the Baptist leapt for joy just getting that close to Jesus. It was John the Baptist who proclaimed that Jesus was the Lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the earth. And we also know that John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And it was while he was being baptized that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. And John heard God say, You are my son, who who I love, with whom I am well pleased. And if you think back into the times of the Bibles, places or times that you would want to be there, this might be one of the times you might pick to see the Spirit of God, the heavens open up, and God declaring this about Jesus. Now, where there's the good, there's also the bad. And this is the bad. This is Herod Antipas. And Herod divorced his wife and married his brother's wife, thereby committing adultery. Now, John the Baptist called him out on it. He said, what you're doing is adultery. John the Baptist didn't realize what a cancel culture was. Here we don't, back in those days, you didn't get them on Twitter and assassinate their character. You just killed them. And so the ugly is this place here, Mechiris. It's in Jordan. If I can get the pointer to work, This is the tell, or this is the hill, 
which this took place, this story. We know this story took place because the Jewish historian Josephus talks about it quite a bit. So this is the hill. You can see the Dead Sea in the background, and you can see Israel even further off. And at the top of the hill, you see some irregularities. That's these columns here for size comparison, so you know how big it is. And this is the banquet hall where you remember Herodias' daughter in various states of disrobement was dancing for King Agrippa and also his fat friends. And it so pleased Herod Agrippa that he told Herodias' daughter she could have anything she wanted. And her mother convinced her that she wanted the head of John the Baptist. But I'm getting ahead of this story, and all those things took place right here. But John, at this time, was still in jail. He was in prison. I'm not saying this is the actual prison he was held in, but it was something like this. He was probably close enough where he could hear the banquet, hear the noises of what goes on at night, all the time sitting there wondering why he was in jail. At least if I was in prison, that's what I would be wondering. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 and 3. And as the custom in Calvary Chapel, if you'd stand while we read the Word of God, if you're able. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, it says, Now when John, that's John the Baptist, while imprisoned, while at that place we just saw, heard the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples, little h, meaning these are John the Baptist's disciples, traveling to see Jesus. And he said to him in verse 3, Are you the coming one, or do we need to look for another? Now if you read that in Greek, the emphasis by the construction of the sentence in Greek has the emphasis like this. It says, Are you the coming one? Or we do we have to look for another? Strange question to ask for someone especially who was present at Jesus' baptism and just saw that. has to make you think what John was thinking. So let's pray. Dear Father, we just pray that you teach us what you want us to hear and make us what you want us to be. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So what do you think John was thinking about when he, when he said this? He had been imprisoned for a long period of time. The Bible says that John was in the spirit of Elijah. A lot of energy, a lot of zeal. He was preaching Jesus coming, but still he was confined in a prison and day after day would go by. Before we get to that, I want to talk about this. As a physician, I love the miracles of Jesus that deal with healing. You can see some of them, the blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf here, and the dead are raised up. You remember about the blind seeing? Jesus spits into his hand, takes the little clay, makes mud, and rubs it into the person's eyes. We're going to talk in a few minutes about the lame walking from Mark 1 through 2. The lepers, leprosy was a condition that involved your entire being, not just your physical, but your social, your mental. You were ostracized, you were isolated. It involved everything you had. The deaf here, have you ever thought about that? Would you rather be blind or deaf? Not that you'd want either, but both would be pretty bad. And then of course, the dead are raised up. Jairus' daughter is descriptive here. 
But the miracles of Jesus where he's healing people, is it the healing that's just physical that we're talking about? Or did Jesus heal people and that there's a spiritual story behind that? Is it just all physical? Or is there a lesson here we have to learn that goes beyond the physical? So turn, if you will, to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So it says, And when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, he being Jesus, it was heard that he, Jesus, was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, even near room, and he was speaking the word to him. So it was so crowded, nobody could even get near him. If you'll permit me just one rabbit hole. Earlier in Mark chapter one, he talks about healing. And he talks about there were so many healings that even in verse 34, Jesus talks to the demons and he says, he did not allow the demons to speak. Even the demons were talking so much about the healings. And then in verse 43 to 45, he heals a leper. And what did he say to the leper? And he, Jesus, strictly warned the leopard and said, see that you say nothing to anyone. And what did the leper do? He went out and began to proclaim it freely. <laughs> so he talks to the demons and the demons obey him, right? He talks to a person and the person's like, ah, I don't care about you. I'm gonna do what I want. The significance of that, you guys look like smart people. How did you figure that out for yourself? I thought it was just funny, though. So we're back in Mark, and we're down to verse 3. And they, the friends of this man, came bringing him a paralytic and carried by four men. And being unable to get him because of the crowds to get near Jesus, that is, they removed the roof above him. And while they dug an opening, they lay him down on a pallet, on which the paralytic was lying. So you can just see it, Jesus is up there teaching, they're chopping a hole in the ceiling, plaster is falling down. Jesus, in my mind, is just ignoring it. He knows what's going on, and they lower this paralytic down to him. In verse five, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now what's wrong with that? Did they bring him to have his sins forgiven? His friends brought him to heal the paralysis. The friends wanted a physical healing. And what was Jesus doing? He was giving him a spiritual healing. So a lot of people in the crowd, as well as his friends, were quite surprised with this. Not only were they surprised with it, but the Pharisees and the scribes, they were surprised too, because that was blasphemy. You can't, only God has the power to heal sins. Verse 6, but there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, that means thinking in their head, why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning this way with themselves, said in his mind, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or arise, take up your pallet, and walk. Now, it's a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why is that? How can you prove that? I can't prove that the sins are forgiven when a person talks. But if I say arise and you don't arise, then you know I'm a phony. I'm a fake. So it's much easier to say, you know, your sins are forgiven. 
But in order that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And immediately he took up his pallet and went out of the sight of all, so that they were all amazed and glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So Jesus knew what they were talking about. He knew that if he just left it at your sins are forgiven, that people would not believe in him. But by doing something physical, a physical representation of a spiritual healing, they could be brought to belief. This man here, Alistair Begg, Scottish pastor, he talks about healing. And when he talks about healing, he talks about it in terms of a sacrament of forgiveness. Now that's kind of interesting. How many sacraments do we practice here at Calvary Chapel? Anybody? Two. We practice two. We practice communion. We did that last week. And we practice baptism. Now when we practice those things, what are they? Are they just purely physical things? Do we put people in the water to get them wet? Do we take communion just because we want to remind ourselves what grape juice tastes like? Or are they physical representations of something spiritual that's going on? Is the baptism the spiritual representation of a life changed? Is communion a physical or a spiritual representation of your continued commitment to God? And so these are physical things but they have a deeper spiritual meaning. And just like the healing that takes place, the healing by itself is not the important thing. That's why every time Jesus healed somebody, it was in a different way. It wasn't like he always spit and rubbed mud on them and they got better, because then we'd think it was the mud and the spit. But he did, this thing is going ahead of me. Oh. Did you guys get all this as I'm going through it? <laughs> Got to keep my hand off the button. But the healing is a physical representation of something spiritual going on. Because when you heal a person, right, what are you healing? You're healing a disease. What is a disease but the effect of sin? Not sin in that person's life that's did it. Remember the story when the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, the guy that was born blind from birth? Who sinned, this person in utero, this person not even born, or his parents? And he said, no, you don't understand. He was born blind so that the glory of God could be revealed to you. So a spiritual could come out of it. And so when we talk about healing, it's a sacrament of forgiveness. What we're saying is the sin state of the disease has been healed. And Jesus is saying, just like I can heal you spiritually, you can't see that, so I will heal the effect that sin has on the world. And he heals their illness. Definition of sacrament, it's a rite believed to be a means of or a visible form of grace. Are you getting it now? When he heals somebody, that's a visible form of the grace of God. Now this is gonna be important coming up here in just a minute on the story of John the Baptist. So it gets back to the question, John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus and says, are you the coming one? Now why does, Jesus, why does John doubt this? Because he's sitting in prison. 
and he thinks it's a waste of his time, and he begins to doubt, this is my feeling, begins to doubt that Jesus may be the coming one. Perhaps he's thinking about Zechariah, where it says, I will set your prisoners free from where your enemies are keeping them. I will do it because of the blood that put into effect my covenant with you. You think he was thinking about that verse, sitting in prison saying, why am I still here, God? Maybe Psalms, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom for prisoners. If this writes God, why am I still here? Why am I still imprisoned? Isaiah, as light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prisons, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Maybe that's what John was thinking. There's more I can give you. But it keeps talking about setting the prisoners free. Now again, we're talking about, are we talking physical here? Or are we talking spiritual? Because there's two ways that can be taken. Is he setting the prisoners free, literally getting them out of jail? Or is he setting you free from the prison of your own sin that you're in? So John sits in jail. And this is Jesus' reply to John the Baptist. And Jesus answered and said to him, Go tell John the things which you have seen and heard. Okay, John the Baptist asked Jesus a simple question. It was real simple. Are you the coming one? Yes or no? I don't want a topic on this. I don't want a discussion. Just tell me, are you it? And Jesus isn't going to give him an easy answer. He says, I want you to tell John the Baptist these things, and it will make it perfectly clear whether or not you're the coming one. And he's going to give him six things. Six things by looking at him, he should know, he being John the Baptist should know without a question that Jesus is the coming one. He says, the blind see, the lame walk, the leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. Well, wait a second. That's the same six things I just read to you. There's no change in that. Exactly the same things. Six things, and five of them do deal with what? They deal with healing right? A a visual representation of God's sacrament of forgiveness for your sins. Jesus thought it was so important to John the Baptist, five of the six times he's telling him this. You've seen the healing that takes place. And there was one more thing, one more thing. And in my mind, I see John the Baptist thinking, what else? What was the other thing? Because what does John want? He wants to be set free from this prison. So he's got those five things. And one more thing, just one more thing. I know it's got to be set me free from the prison. And the last thing Jesus says, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. He says nothing about prisons, nothing about getting out of jail. He talks about the poor. Now, what's the poor? Is it people that just don't have money? Well, that's one of the definitions. What's the other definition of poor that it could be? Poor in spirit, absolutely. Another definition of poor is those people who realize they're powerless to accomplish what they want. You want your sins forgiven? You want to be with Christ? If you're poor, you realize you're powerless to have any effect on that yourself, that you have to look to somebody else. And in this case, who is he talking about? He's talking about himself. You can't get into heaven without me. So he doesn't answer John the Baptist's question, right? Do you have the time? 
52? Okay, we're good time. So it says, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, if I was sitting where John the Baptist is, I may not have taken that the right way. I may have been a little bit upset that Jesus did not answer the question like I wanted him to answer it. I want to be free from the prison, and you're not doing what I want, Jesus. You're not answering the prayer the way I want my prayer answered. Have you ever done that to God? God answers your prayer and you say, no, God, that's not good enough. I want it answered my way. So what are John's reactions? Possible. Well, I've got three possible reactions. You guys are probably smarter than me. You probably have more than three possible reactions John could have had. First reaction, he could have just flat out rejected Jesus. Jesus, you're a fake. If you were real, you'd get me out of this prison. I would be free. I've wasted all these years of my life following you. I've had it. You're dead to me, Jesus. I'm not doing this anymore for you. I'm out of here. Turns his back and walks away. Possible reaction? He could have. What's another reaction John the Baptist could have had? He could have become angry at God. God, this isn't what I want. This isn't what I bargained for. Yeah, you're still God, but I'm upset with you. I'm not going to put up with you anymore. I'm not going to go to church. Yeah, you're still God, but I'm not going to talk good about you. I'm not going to love you. I'm going to throw you under the bus every time I get a chance to. I'm going to act like a five-year-old and be angry with you. Like Jonah. Yeah, could have become angry with God. And the third would be understanding accepting. John the Baptist said, I get it. I understand now. And the best understanding and acceptance is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. Jesus, as fully man, knew what was going to happen. And as fully man, I'm sure he didn't want to go to the cross. What man would want to go to the cross? But as fully God, he understood the importance of the cross and understood why he had to go to the cross. And so in Luke chapter 22, verse 22, he gives us how we should pray, how we should address situations when what we want isn't necessarily what God wants. And it says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. As a man, I don't want this suffering. I don't want these trials. I don't want this, this pressure. But not my will, but yours be done. And that's the mature way of addressing this. So how do we go from when God doesn't answer our prayers in the way we want it? How do you go from turning your back and walking away? Do some of you know people that have done that? That when their prayers weren't answered the way they wanted it answered, they just turn and walk away and said, I'm done with you, God? Do you know people that just get angry with God and stay bitter for a long time? And do you know some people that maybe have a maturity about them that they can say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now, I'm not naive enough to, to believe that everybody in this situation wants to go up to a higher level. Some people just want to be angry at God the whole time. And that's really hard when you see those people. But how do you go from one to the other? And so I say it's by faith. 
Now, when you say faith, faith means a lot of different things to different people. And I'll bet you my version of faith is a little bit different than your version of faith. Let me give you some examples. This is Joyce Meyer. And Joyce Meyer is probably well known to you through books and through lectures. And she says, there is no hope of anyone, anyone going to heaven unless they believe this truth I'm presenting to you. You cannot go to heaven unless you believe with all your heart that Jesus took your place in hell. Really? I thought Jesus died on the cross. And I thought that Jesus, when he died on the cross, said, it is finished. Nothing else has to be done. What I've done for you on the cross is sufficient. But Joyce Myers believes that he also has to go to hell for you. Now, how do you believe that? Do you look rationally at what the rest of the Bible says? Or it has, how does Joyce Myers think you should come to that understanding? Believe this truth I'm presenting to you. Just believe it. You don't need proof. You don't need reason. Just believe it. Have faith. When you come in the door, check your brain. You don't need a brain. All you got to do is have faith. Just believe what I say. Compare that to this person. This is J. Werner Wallace. He is a cold case detective. He is the person that solves crimes that are 20, 30 years old. And he wrote a book called A Person of Interest. And we started investigating this cold case, the cold case being, who is Jesus? Is he really who he claimed to be? Was not a Christian. And he took on the challenge of finding out who Jesus was and addressed it just like, and after he was done, he became a Christian. Now, does he have the same face, the same faith as our previous person? Did he check his brain at the door? Or did he come to it from a logical, rational understanding? This man, C.S. Lewis, he addressed the issue of faith as well. In his idea of faith, he put down in Mere Christianity, chapter 12, and it was written in the early 1940s. What was going on in the 40s? War, Europe, Japan, very stressful time. And he said in Mere Christianities, this is his definition of what faith is. Now faith, in the sense which I'm using the word, is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Your reason has shown you that God is real. Your reason has shown you that Jesus is the coming one. Now, when your emotions get the better of you and they start saying something else, when your emotions of sitting in a hot jail cell tell you that maybe Jesus isn't the coming one, it's the faith, it's holding on to things your reason has accepted your reason being all the miracles you saw of, of the healings and the poor. Because you know what? Your emotions will change. And if you rely on your emotions, then your view of God is going to change. But if you hold on to the reason that you have in your mind, then you'll be strong in God. Then he comes to the conclusion below. Consequently, one must train the habit of faith. Understand the difference between leaving your reason at the door and training your faith. 
Well, how do you train your faith? Well, one way would be to get his book and to read it. And it's not that easy of a read, but when you get done, it has trained your faith. What about going to the library here, over here in the corner, that Bob O'Neill manufactures and puts together? It's a beautiful library. Have you trained your faith by going there and checking out some of the books? What about adult Sunday school? Sean Kirk gives. Have you trained your faith by going to a Sunday school? Or do you just rush home as quick as you can? Do you train your faith by opening the word up and reading from the Bible? Well, if you want to have the faith that doesn't change with your mood, it requires work. It requires of training. That's a verb, habit of faith. So it ends up in Matthew 11:6, And Jesus says, in his conclusion to his answer to John the Baptist, he says, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. What does that mean? He's saying to John, John, are you offended because I, did, because I didn't answer your prayer the way you wanted it? Does that offend you? Are you offended because you don't get everything you want and you're going to deny me? Are you offended because your husband you prayed for for 30 years hasn't become a Christian? Are you offended because your children don't obey you? and you've been praying for them for a long time and their salvation? Are you offended because people at work laugh at you and mock you because you're a Christian? Are you friend offended because friends have left you and say bad things about you on Facebook because of your Christianity? Does that offend you? Do I offend you, John? Does anybody know what that picture is? It's a snowflake. Don't be a snowflake. When God doesn't answer your prayers the way you want, don't be a snowflake, and don't be offended of God. Let's go ahead and stand up for a word of prayer. We'll have the worship team come up. What, what time do you have? What time? 10.06? Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray that we are not offended by the things you tell us. We just pray we don't offend we don't get offended because of you and that we always want to be associated with you these things we pray in Christ's name amen now back in 2011 this woman here her name is Laura Story and she took the same talk that I just gave you but she did it better than me when she wrote down her answers to these questions and not only did she do it better than me, when you read what she wrote, it only took four minutes and 48 seconds. And then when she was done, she put it to music. And the music is called Blessings. And if you get a chance today, I would go home and look up Blessings and listen to it on the music. And the words to Blessings, it says, we pray for blessings. We pray for peace. Comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray that your mighty hand to ease our suffering. There's nothing wrong with any of that. All those are decent prayers. Thursday night, last Thursday of every night, we get together for fellowship and a meal and we pray these things. Then she goes on and says, and all the while you hear each spoken need, 
Yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Well, which love? She's talking about God's love. God's love is greater than to give us lesser things. What are the lesser things? The blessings, the peace. She sees something even greater than the things we pray for that God has in store to give us. And she's going to answer what those greater things are, but she doesn't answer it as a statement. She answers it as a question. She says, because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? If that happens, are you going to reject Jesus? Is he going to offend you? What if a thousand sleepless nights, that's three years, three years of sleepless nights, is what it takes to know that God is near? What if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? Are you going to look at God and turn your back and say, you're dead to me, Jesus, and walk away? Are you going to stay angry at him? We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. Saw that little five-year-old so angry. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love. As if every promise from your word is not enough. God doesn't answer my prayer. That wasn't enough, God. And all the while you hear our desperate plea and long that we have faith to believe. The faith where it just parked at the door or the faith where it comes through understanding. When friends betray us, when darkness seems to wind, we know that pain reminds this heart. This is not, this is not our home. And what if my greatest disappointments John the Baptist sitting there in that prison cell. What if my greatest disappointments or the acting of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world cannot satisfy? What if the trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest rites are your mercies in disguise? So when you go through the trials and you see the rain, Maybe, just maybe, it's God's mercy in disguise. We'll and the worship team have one last song for you, and after that, Will will dismiss you.